by what I am about to tell you next, there will no doubt be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is, Sandy is away, so there is no children's sermon. You're stuck with me this morning. Pray for me that I do my best in the Lord's sight. Today we begin a journey through the Gospel of John. In my 30 years of ministry, I've preached lots of sermons from John, but never a sustained series. I am so looking forward to this. John is a rich and deep gospel that takes us deeper into what was going on in Jesus Christ, who he was, what he came to do. We begin with the beginning from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from, through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. Would you pray with me? Lord God, your word speaks with power and with grace and truth. This fallible preacher has worked this week to bring this word alive in a way that speaks to us in our day and time. If anything I say is not of you, let it quickly be forgotten. That which is true to your word, let it sink into our minds and hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the summer of 2017, I stood on a windswept island off the west coast of Scotland with my heart in my throat and tears in my eyes. Like the super tramp song, the logical song, I had a longing in my heart. Won't someone tell me who I am? And I think we all feel that way to some extent, don't we? We all want to know who we are. 
where we fit in the world, where we come from, who our people are. Well, Susan and I traveled to Scotland in 2017, in part so I could better answer that question. We called it an ancestry tour to help us both connect to our Scottish roots. Now, since my father was adopted, I know almost nothing about his birth mother and father, but my mother was a Mackenzie from Greenock, Scotland, who emigrated to America when she was 14. So Susan and I met up with my mother's cousin Myra and her daughter Claire, and Myra shared her memories of my grandfather Alex and what she knew about his father, my great-grandfather. We went to see the house in Greenock where my mother grew up, and then the farm where my, my great -grand, where my grandmother grew up. And even while preparing this sermon this week and thinking about that and writing about it, I got choked up remembering it. Shortly after, we headed out into the highlands in a rental car with me driving on the wrong side of the road, and Susan hyper-vigilant warning me from driving into oncoming traffic, which I almost did multiple times. We ended up on the Isle of Skye, that windswept island off the west coast of Scotland, where my great-grandfather John Mackenzie was born and raised. It is a wild, sparsely populated and beautiful place. We went to a recreation of a typical home from the 1800s, dirt floor, thatched roof. And as I stood outside that house and looked at the landscape around me, there were craggy mountains and cliffs and the ocean crashing. I felt down into my bones. This is where I come from. This is part of who I am. Gospel of John opens with the story of who Jesus really is. And from that, from him, we learn who we really are too. You see, all of our stories and the story of the whole universe starts with this one. In December, we read and learned from the Nativity accounts in Luke and Matthew that tell of Jesus' conception and birth. Now John presses back, presses way back to tell us of the origins of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he says, is the Word of God. John uses a Greek word, logos, drawn from philosophy to explain this. The Logos is the divine intelligence and order behind the universe. The reason that water always boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level, the reason that the planets circle stars in predictable orbits, the reason that a sperm and egg cell come together and can form a human being is because of the order that the Logos built into the universe. But John pushes even further than that. The Word, the Logos, was with God in the beginning, and everything that is was created through Him. Galaxies and beavers and mountains and planets and hummingbirds and you and me too. And then John says the most incredible thing. 
In Jesus Christ, the Word of God became flesh and lived among us. You see, it's one thing to believe that there is a creator up there somewhere. Plato said, the father of all things is past finding out. Too remote, different, unknowable. But the Christian story is that God came to us, showed himself to us, and became one of us. You can sense the wonder in John's words. We have seen his glory. In the Hebrew Bible, we are told that no one can see the glory of God and live. And yet God came so close that people touched him, could smell him, talk with him, and be touched by him, hear him speak in a human voice in their own language. He looked and sounded exactly like one of them, one of us, yet he was at the same time God in the flesh, God who moved into the neighborhood, so to speak. The writer Madeline Langle put it like this, what I believe is so magnificent, so glorious that that it is beyond finite comprehension. To believe that the universe was created by a purposeful, benign creator is one thing. To believe that this creator took on human vesture, accepted death and mortality, was tempted, betrayed, broken, and all for love of us, defies reason. It is so wild that it terrifies some Christians who try to dogmatize their fear by lashing out at other Christians. Because tidy Christianity, with all the answers given, is easier than one which reaches out to the wild wonder of God's love, a love that we don't even have to earn. That is the story of us all. We live in a created world not one that emerged out of the void by chance, a world that is upheld by the Word of God, and that we all are created beings and we have our ultimate origin, not on a Scottish island or Korea or Ireland or anywhere else where we trace our heritage. We come from the mind, the will, the heart of God. And when God created human beings, what did he say about it in Genesis? Do you remember? Very good. That is completely wonderful. But there's a problem. Comes up in verse 10. He was in the world, amazing. And the world came into being through him. But the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. That is shocking. How could that happen? Because the world is shrouded in darkness, because things ain't right. The world itself is out of whack. This example, there's an infectious disease specialist named Tony Goldberg, who works at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He traveled to a national park in Uganda to study infectious organisms. 
When he returned home, he felt something up his nose and found a tick embedded way up one of his nostrils. This kind of tick, it's called a amblyomama tick. It is nasty. They carry bacteria that cause diseases such as Q fever and African tick bite fever. They also hop from animal to animal as they feed their hunger for blood, spreading diseases, for instance, from chimps to human beings. A tick that crawls up and burrows itself in your nose? The world is out of whack. There's darkness and suffering and agony in this world. And we're out of whack. Our minds, our hearts are clouded by darkness. We're lost and we're broken and we desperately need saving. Before 9-11, sometimes I had to work hard in preaching and teaching to make that case. The 90s were a decade of optimism. The Berlin Wall came down, the Soviet Union collapsed, the West won the Cold War. The economy was roaring, gas was cheap, this internet thing started taking off. People thought in the West we'd had won and that human progress was going to save us. Then 9-11 happened and we realized that the darkness in the world was there all along. And we saw that darkness in D.C. this week. How lost we are, how quickly the darkness can take hold even in America. How quickly it can take hold in all and any of us. And how fragile is the thin veneer of civilization. What I am about to share now may annoy and even anger you. I ask that you try to trust me as someone who's been preaching for over 30 years, studying God's word for over 30 years, and someone who loves you, the people of this congregation and community, and who wants good for you. Now, we've all seen the pictures of what happened, right? The man with his feet up on the desk of the Speaker of the House who was quoted as saying he's a proud white nationalist and ready to die for President Trump and take some people with him. A man parading a Confederate flag, that horrible symbol of white supremacy, through our Capitol building. Darkness, my friends. A police officer dies defending the Capitol. Sixty others are injured. A woman is shot and dies. A veteran who served her country. Who, her friends say, was taken in by conspiracy theories. Well, what is most horrific to me as a minister of the gospel is that much of this was dressed up in the garb of a perverted brand of Christianity. People in the crowd referring to the Proud Boys as God's warriors. One insurrectionist paraded around the house chamber with a Christian flag, a flag with a cross in the corner. Others had banners reading Jesus saves and other familiar Christian slogans. Friends, that stuff wasn't fringe, it was central to the movement. Sinclair Lewis was not far off when he observed, 
When fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying a cross. Carrying the cross. Don't think you can isolate the events in D.C. to a small fringe group. What we saw was a visible tumor emerging from a cancer growing within much of the church in this country. A cancer of a false Christianity mixed with grievance, conspiracy theories like QAnon that have become another set of infallible scriptures, and a bogus version of patriotism. It is a false religion with its own prophets, some in politics, some in American religious life. And it is in our churches all through the country and here in Franklin County, too. Too many pastors like me have shied away from naming this for fear of dividing our churches or, heaven forbid, hurting the church budget. Our cowardice has contributed to allowing this cancer to metastasize and become a deadly threat and it is bringing shame and dishonor to our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you think I'm being overwrought. Consider these stinging words from a Christ follower in our community whom I know. It was the beauty of Christ, the scriptures, and the church which brought me to faith. And in Christian friends, I experienced the beauty of God and world-changing love. But while the church is inherently made up of people so broken, they recognize their need for a savior, the past five years have revealed the ugliest nature of the church on a scale that is unsettling. Accepting and spreading lies, nationalism, racial ignorance and blatant racism, hypocrisy, greed for power, cherry-picking legislation of morality, unapologetic pride, etc., etc. All these stand as crimes against the law of the Lord. To my friends outside the church, the church is indefensible at this moment. All I'd like to do is offer apologies for the church, but how can I do that when so many are unapologetic? Instead, I can only request that you will not let the sins of those in the church well forever the inkling in your mind that God might exist. I pray you start with the contrast. God is not like the American church. Now hear me clearly. I certainly do not believe that everyone who voted for or who supports the present president, who has concerns about the election, is part of this. But it is undeniable that this heresy, this idolatry, is all through the American church. I grieve for those who are searching for God, attracted to Christ, but repelled by what some of the American church has become. I grieve for those who invaded the Capitol and the many like them, so desperate for something to believe in that they would give themselves to this idolatry. And I grieve for the church in America. So what does God do when human beings are lost in darkness? God doesn't abandon us. God doesn't wipe us out. He comes to us to save us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Flesh 
describes our human condition. We're flesh because we're weak and fragile, vulnerable, needy creatures. We're enslaved to the powers of sin and death. We do what the Apostle Paul calls the works of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, rage, disputes, dissensions, factions. Listen to this. To say that the Word became flesh is to say that the Word assumed the whole of our dilapidated condition. He became weak, vulnerable, mortal. Jesus, the Word of God, was tempted by all the indulgent and violent instincts of the flesh, yet he didn't sin. God doesn't recoil from us, recoil from our flesh. He enters it to make it his own and to transform it from within. And not only that, John says that to all who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the power to become children of God. Now in a sense, every human being is a child of God because we are all created by God. But John means something more, something deeper than that, that God in Christ invites us into a deeply personal, intimate relationship where he loves us as we love our children, only a lot more fully and wisely. And we get to know God, experience God as our Heavenly Father. A writer named Frank Neff tells of a time he decided to call his own father by his first name. He thought it would meant that they would begin to relate to each other as adult to adults. His father said, okay, you can call me by my first name if you like. There are hundreds of other people who do. But there are only three people in the whole world who can call me dad. Which name do you think carries more weight? The right to become children of God who call God Father. The weight of that, the privilege of that. You see, this is an invitation to which we must respond. If we want to become children of God, we do so by putting our faith in the Son of God. And if you do, and if you have, that is what is most true about you. Created by God, a child of God, and God is your Heavenly Father. That is who we are. That is who we must be before political party or ethnic identity or race or denomination or any other loyalty or human classification. Only then do we we begin to have anything to offer this broken and lost world. I don't know how to save our country from toppling into the abyss we looked into Wednesday. But I do know from God's word, what will save the church of Jesus Christ. So we can be salt and light. So we can be people of grace and truth. And that is that we become first and foremost before anything else, children of God through Jesus Christ. That is our salvation. That is our hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the hope of the whole world.